The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very warm welcome everybody. You're watching Squawkbox and these are your headlines. Microsoft falls in extended trade after quarterly revenue grows at its slowest pace since 2016 and guidance comes in weak. A glitch at the New York Stock Exchange stops trade in 251 stocks with several transactions expected to be cancelled. Meanwhile, the markets ended mixed, but the Dow managed to rack up its third positive session in a row. Uh, Mr. Musk, that's Elon to you and me, tells a jury that he did not, did not have binding commitments when tweeting in 2018 that he had secured funds to take Tesla private, but insists could have raised the money if he needed to. And elsewhere, Asian markets hitting a seven-month high with uh, South Korean stocks returning to trade, but Australian equities underperforming after inflation surges to a 33-year high. Meanwhile, the US and Germany are reportedly readying the delivery of Abrams and Leopard 2 tanks to Ukraine following months of refusal. Ukraine's Volodymyr Zelensky stresses the urgent need to boost the country's military might. There's a lot of talk about tanks right now, about the modern tanks we need, and about how this deficit can be filled. There have been many efforts, words and promises, but it's important to see reality. Uh, so very good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program with Karen, Steve, myself, Jeff Cutmore. Let's get straight into the ASML numbers. This is a company at the centre of a huge range of issues at the moment. ASML, which makes the machines that makes semiconductors uh, and is based in the Netherlands. So the uh, company this morning uh, delivering um, a 21.2 billion uh, net sales number, a 5.6 billion euro net income number for 2022. Uh, ASML expects 2023 net sales to grow over 25%, 25% compared to 2022. Uh, expects first quarter 23 net sales between 6.1 billion and 6.5 billion and a gross margin between 49 and 50%. The uh, group goes on to say it is declaring a total dividend for the year of 2022 of Euro 5.8 uh, Euro cents per ordinary share. The company says it expects net sales, as I say, uh, of more than 25% higher and a slight improvement in gross margin. Um, we've got a line also on R&D costs, the outlook for 2023 SML. Um, R&D costs of around 965 million. Uh, the um, group effectively then, I think, giving us a very encouraging outlook on the increase going forward. Do you want to pull up a few no, more lines? Just, have, you, have you done all the China lines? Go on. There, um, so look, um, actually, it's probably best to um, just put this in some form of context. Can I go straight to my router sound first of all before? So look, um, there's a big battle here that Jeff just absolutely alluded to between whether this company can ship its exports of its high-end technology and there's various parts of technology 
to China or not. And the US, of course, want to get European support for blocking this kind of technology. So look, before I go into the flashes, why don't we just go into the story in a little bit more detail? The US is seeking Dutch support for a blockade on the Chinese chip industry. Now, I spoke to Mark Rutte about this a couple of days ago in Davos about this very issue and how those discussions are going. So listening to Rutte, then I'll give you the latest from ASML. This is about how to defend leading-edge technologies in Europe and the US. It is also about preventing leading-edge technologies ending up in defense systems where you don't want them to, them to end up. But it is also about the supply chain, because if we get this wrong, chips are also uh, part of our refrigerators, our cars. This is really, let's say, medium technology or low-end technology. And if we do this not in the right way, we will hurt those supply chains. So that is the type of discussions we are having, not just with the United States. It's not only about China. It is a much broader discussion. Yeah, I also had a really good conversation with Russia about leopard tanks as well. My goodness me, that story's moved on. But back on this as well, do you hear what he just said there about not restricting ourselves by uh, ex not exporting lower and uh, medium end technology rather than the high end technology which they have as well? So with that in mind, US-China restrictions, this is ASML today, we have just to wait for the governments and the politicians to keep talking and come to reasonable solutions. So there is no resolution on this whatsoever. On US-China restrictions, we'll not ship EUV to China, for instance, but we can still ship DUV and metrology and inspection tools, i.e. that's that whole point about the high end versus the low end technology. Some technology can go, other technology can't go. On the restrictions again, the facts are that nothing really changed since October regulations that came out of the United States, which actually means we will not ship, here we go again, the EUV, which is the latest higher end technology on and it's that word I hate again, but I'm going for it, lithography machines, blech, uh, to China, for instance. So amazing. This story rumbles on politically. ASML stuck in the middle. Don't know what they're supposed to do about EUV versus DUV technology as well. And, and as we heard from the prime minister a couple of days ago, and he was in Biden's office a day before that interview I had with him, we still don't have progress. Let me just break down the acronym a little bit further, the EUV. We're talking about the transition to 5G and AI. And as we know, that's huge in many places across the world, particularly when it comes to China, the advances they're seeking to make on both of those fronts. And, you know, 5G, don't forget we ended up in hot water in terms of trade relations around Huawei. That was where a lot of these spats began around what next should uh, Huawei it's participate the in 5G. Right, exactly. Yeah. And, of course, AI, hugely significant at this point as we take a look at the future. I think we've just seen it through another lens with OpenAI with Microsoft and how it's folded into day-to-day -day operations. So this is big. I think the other point to jump out around the numbers is that it is a reflection of what we just heard in Davos, that the first half might be challenging because all of these issues, recessions, inflation, geopolitics, but we have hopes around the second half directly in the results in terms of commentary on the outlook. Uh, this is an incredibly difficult um, needle to thread. You heard Bruno Le Maire on my panel talking about foreign products, foreign manufactured goods coming into Europe. And that was all effectively about the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, as we know here. The challenge, though, is what we're talking about with ASML is an attempt to try and put uh, countries like Japan, Taiwan, the United States, Europe, all on the same page in their treatment of China when it comes to IP and uh, chip technology here. And I think 
as the Europeans deal with this Inflation Reduction Act, the question is how do they negotiate the challenge of ASML? And interesting that you asked that question of Mark Rutter, because obviously the major rivals to ASML are in Asia. Um, you're, you're talking about um, companies like Nikon, um, and the major um, customers of ASML are in Asia. Uh, although you've got Intel, you've got TSMC, and obviously you've got companies like Samsung that are taking the machines. So how do you make sure that ASML isn't unfairly injured in this process of trying to limit uh, technology sharing with China? It's like the taxes, Whilst there are so many other Asian rivals it's who are also trying to do that same business with China, but are being told by the White House, you've got to back off. We need a solid red line when it comes to uh, exports it's, of technology it's to It's the China. tank story. I'll sell you this uh, weaponry. Uh, and we can talk about uh, semiconductors as being the next weapons of the future. I will sell you this technology, but you cannot on-sell it without my approval. I think that's what we're looking at here. We've just seen the fight through the lens of the Europeans and through the Americans on tanks on the ground in Ukraine. I think this is the same as semiconductors. You can have access, but you cannot forward um, it on to anyone I, who is not playing ball in terms of the allies. I, I, I would probably diverge slightly on that one and just go back to something that just hit me when you again I've listened to you talking uh, live mm. and a couple of times afterwards mm. your analysis of specifically those mm. um, Le Maire comments and, and Bruno Le Maire who I very much enjoy speaking to when we interview him I think we all do he's a great speaker and, he, and he's a very powerful voice unfortunately he won't like what I'm about to say is he sounded a bit like Donald Trump <coughs> because Trump do you remember when we used to lambast Mr. Trump yeah. because he would say I want this made in the United States well America we're like hang first. on a yeah, hang on a second. There's very complicated supply chains on out on all these products, including automobiles. You can't just have made in America on this stamped on this vehicle. They're made in all over the world. Look at the supply chain for any vehicle, and you'll see that it is a truly global affair. Uh, and so that reminded me of what you um, spoke to Mr. Le Maire about. Foreign goods, there's no such thing in most of these fully manufactured, especially high-end products, of coming from France or Germany or Great Britain or even China. They are component sourced and raw material sourced and manufactured globally. Mm. You can't have foreign or homemade goods in the global supply chain. The um, um, significance of this is something we'll, we'll, we're going to tease out because uh, ASML sold more than 8 billion euros worth of uh, equipment to China since 2014. So. What will these new rules mean in terms of ASML's business going forward? We're going to catch up with the CEO, Peter Venick. That's an interview on this channel at 8.05 Central European time. Microsoft shares slipped in extended trade, having initially rallied uh, this, uh, of course, on the back of numbers uh, that we saw crossing from the business. Uh, the all-important uh, bellwether really uh, giving us a sense of what uh, is happening in the business on the second quarter. Earnings beat. We saw that initial rallying amid strong growth in its Azure cloud unit. Sentiment soured, though, as the software giant offered guidance that missed forecasts. EPS came in at $2.32, a three-cent beat, but down on the year, while revenue growth of 2% was the slowest since 2016 and fell short of analyst expectations. The company warned the PC market will contract again, leading to a roughly 17% year-on-year decline in the segment that features its flagship Windows product. Let's get to Okte Kavrak, who is a product strategist at Leverage Shares. Okte, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, you were seeing Microsoft as the bellwether for the tech sector. Can I just hone in on the cloud side? Because it felt as though market share was still decent, but the overall direction around cloud revenue 
perhaps suggest that the good times might be behind us? Yeah, good morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I mean, the, the news was, as you mentioned, obviously very mixed. I think in terms of the cloud, um, it showed that it was more resilient than expected. So I think for the most part, everybody expected what happened with its declining business sales. I mean, PC sales and OEM revenue. But, you know, it's best days in terms of cloud sales, in terms of cloud sales growth might be behind them. But that doesn't mean um, it's not going to continue uh, strongly forward. And as you mentioned, it, it was the first company that announced earnings among you know the big tech that's coming up over the next two weeks so we're going to see about half of the s p 500's value announcing earnings in the next two weeks so a bad miss by microsoft would have been something like canary in the coal mine but i think at this point we're seeing that you know microsoft and maybe even other companies like apple which are considered sort of like the defensives in the tech space are actually in pretty good position so what does this mean for Amazon, do you think? Because AWS has been a line in the sector for so long. But as we looked at some of the market share numbers as they wrapped up 2022, we saw slippage in AWS yep. market share, what, from 71% to 55% in the period, the same time when Azure increased the market share. Does that mean we're setting up for a weak set of numbers coming out on the AWS side from Amazon? Yeah, obviously we could see that. And as you mentioned, it's a pretty steep decline from Amazon, which has been sort of very dominant in the, in the cloud space for the better part of a decade. And it's not just in the cloud space, right? So with this latest investment that we'll probably get to later with um, Microsoft putting even more money in open AI, uh, it's also search as well. So these are you know, two spaces that seem to be sort of a monopoly for Google. All of a sudden they're going from untouchable to very vulnerable. So it's gonna be very interesting to watch those uh, two spaces. Um, so what do you buy and what do you sell Octay at the moment? Is there a chance here for any of these technology companies to have a meaningful rebound at this stage against the trend? Yeah. Well, as we know, I mean, technology was sort of the catalyst of the market growth over the last decade. Uh, to be honest, I think the golden years of the, of the tech stocks are behind us. I mean, obviously, they have a higher index today than they've had. You know, historically, you have the top five or six stocks that make up about a third of the major indices. But moving forward, I really do think it's time for value stock to shine again. That doesn't mean you should ignore the tech names, because as we know, the more they get punished, the harder they rebound. Um, and especially when you think about companies like Microsoft and Apple, you know, these are some of the most resilient uh, names in the tech space. When you talk about Apple, they have, you know, absolutely dominant brand loyalty. And with Microsoft, you know, this diversified, uh, their three lines of business, businesses have developed so um, in such a stable manner over the last 20 years that if you look at the top five stocks in 2000 in terms of S&P 500 constituents, the only constituent then that was there is Microsoft that you also see today. So that just shows you how they have, you know, adapted to uh, to, to modern times to, to make sure they're still one of the most profitable companies around. So um, based on that, are you suggesting then that if there is um, a company that we should be interested in or a, a business theme that we should be interested in in technology at the moment, it's one that's just emerging rather than one that's around at this time? So. I don't know, AI pops up, comes to mind, Microsoft just spending a whole chunk of change on a, an AI business. Um, what are the new emerging names that perhaps we might take a look at? Well, actually, I would say the opposite. So instead of looking at the new emerging uh, names, I would actually stick with the more stable names, especially in the tech space. 
Um, I do think that we're sort of probably in another bull trap. I mean, the markets are rallying much harder since the start of the new year than I believe is warranted. I mean, at this point, people are expecting the Fed to stop rates, maybe just, uh, you know, a few hikes down the line and, you know, pivot not long after that. So I think it's a little premature for that. Uh, we are we're not seeing inf um, unemployment rise as fast as the the Fed like would like in order to see or in order to go all in on the more uh, growth tech names. So for now, I would focus more on the quality um, earnings names, on the high dividend payers, on the dividend uh, aristocrat names. So with that said, I would focus on the more traditional names in the tech space. And other than that, I would continue to pay attention to energy. Um, consumer staples, industrial. So those would probably be the sectors that I would continue to be looking at. Um, okay, just slightly uh, different question. This year. Slightly different question for me. What percentage of your clients lost money last year? The only reason I ask is because most of the leverage players I know, uh, their clients losing money in the ratio of about three to one, i.e. three customers losing money to every one or four to one in some cases. I just wondered what percentage of your clients, because leverage has been a very interesting place to be in the last 12 months. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So if you look at the top 10 trading, the traded stocks globally, one of the most traded ones is uh, by an issuer in the US, which tracks the NASDAQ 100, levered three times. Um, but the thing about these kinds of products from an issuer's perspective is that, you know, we're not a broker, we're not an exchange. So we have no information in terms of what percentage of clients make money, what percentage of clients uh, lose money. But one of the things that is promising for us is that we're seeing a lot of daily turnover which actually you know surpasses the aum in some of these products which shows us that people are using these as trading vehicles rather than buy and hold investments and that's something we continue to stress on the education section of our, our website and basically all of our uh, regulatory documents because obviously these are very volatile products and the longer you hold them and the more volatile the underlying um you know the quicker the the decay is going to eventually get get to you and uh, and hit your profits Sure. So you have no information whatsoever on the percentage of your clients losing money in leveraged products. The margins have gone through the roof in the last year. The volatility in many of these individual stocks has gone through the roof as well. But despite the fact that many of the other providers who also have education products on them as well, I'm looking at a couple of them now. 76% of our clients lose money. 80% of our clients lose money as well. You've got no idea whatsoever how your clients are doing. Um, I believe those are likely CFD brokers that have more information on that. Um, but in terms of the flows, what we see is sort of like a, a mixed, uh, a mixed bag of things. So you have a lot of money coming into long leverage products and a lot of money coming into the short leverage products. Obviously people can enter, they can exit intraday. Uh, we wouldn't know who did it and, uh, you know, obviously at what positions, but as I mentioned, what we do like to see is increasing volumes, which shows that, you know, people are using these as trading vehicles to either hedge their positions, make tactical moves around things like earnings releases, because as you know, with things like using a margin account, with uh, other ways of trading with leverage, there are additional risks involved. You can lose more than you've invested. And obviously there's a slew of other, other things that can happen. So we just think that this is a slightly risk mitigated alternative for those people that are looking for additional exposure while um, not protecting their downside. Okay, just to round out the conversation on downside here, you know, tech stocks have been on this slide. It's been very brutal for a lot of investors, retail investors, institutional investors that loaded up on tech. 
As we get this read in on Microsoft, and keep in mind this is one of the big moving stocks to the upside when we saw market leadership. What's next? Because we continue to see the slump in PC uh, shipments. It suggests that the devices side, the hardware side, is still facing some post-COVID challenges. Do you think we're at the, the bottom of the trough when it comes to uh, the cycle for technology stocks? I don't think we're at the bottom. We haven't hit a trough, but obviously the thing with PC sales is that you know, after the pandemic uh, first started over the last two years, people have been buying a lot of tech, not just PCs, you know, tablets, phones, etc. And at some point, people, you know, don't need more than a single phone, right? So I don't expect, you know, those numbers to recover anytime soon. I do think, you know, moving forward, probably into uh, the second half, maybe even Q3 of this year, we will, you know, continue to see that trend. But eventually, obviously, demand is going to pick up uh, once we get more clarity in terms of, you know, what's ultimately going to happen with the Fed pivot, inflation, et cetera, then we'll be able to make some better better predictions. But at the, I think at this point, it's very premature to call it a trough. But if I were to guess, I would say we're close to a trough. Okay, thank you very much for joining us this morning. I'll take our with us, product strategist, leverage shares. Elon Musk says he did not have confirmed specific commitments from investors when he posted his infamous funding secured tweet in 2018. The Tesla boss told a San Francisco court that funding was not an issue, but admitted he had no binding agreements. Musk, who is a frequent and sometimes impulsive user of Twitter, is on trial in a class action lawsuit of allegations that he misled shareholders. Who wrote that? That's quite interesting. Know, frequent a, and sometimes impulsive user of Twitter. Uh, it's, it's, you know, when, read, uh, when you read the headline there, there was like this echo going on in my head. I did not have binding commitments with that lawyer. <laughs> And it sounded a lot like I did not have sex with that woman, didn't it? You're talking about Mr. Clinton. I am talking about Mr. Clinton. But, um, Monica Lewinsky. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. It was a long time ago. Was it sex or sexual relations or something? Uh, oh, sexual, sexual relations. There was was something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kenneth Starr got to the bottom of it. Yeah, I think. absolutely. Well, maybe we need Kenneth Starr to get to the bottom of what's going on with uh, Tesla at this point. I did not have binding commitments with that lawyer. Uh, Coming up on the program, Wall Street closes lower as investors digest earnings. Uh, We're going to have more on that story when we come back. And how's the podcast today, Karen? It is uh, terrific. It tells you a lot about technology. For more on Microsoft numbers, check out the Squawkbox podcast. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. We're back, everybody. A technical glitch at the New York Stock Exchange stopped the uh, opening auctions of a number of stocks on uh, trade on Tuesday. 251 companies were affected. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission says it's reviewing the issue and the NYSE has confirmed it is cancelling a small number of trades that happened shortly after the market opened. Bob Pisani has the report from the trading floor ahead of the closing bell. The NYSE has announced that they appear to be busting a limited number of trades that occurred this morning at the open. Several hundred stocks opened this morning without any opening trade, essentially opening 
price uh, and uh, uh, initial opening. And that caused a lot of problems, a lot of dis price dislocations. So they have announced that they are going to declare a number of trades clearly erroneous. That means they're essentially busting the trades, but not all of them. And that's where some of the difficulty lies in here. So the NYC has very clear rules in place for when they can announce rules and when can they, they can say that stocks are busted, essentially, and they have to follow these rules. They have limit up, limit down rules as well that restrict when they're down or when they're up and when they halt. And it appears right now that they're announcing that they're going to bust some trades that were outside of these trading bands, but others that were may have been below the trading bands are not. So, for example, uh, this was a multi-stock event, and there could be as many as, uh, stocks that are trading above 30%. Uh, off of their prior price the day before when they opened, those stocks will probably be made whole. They will be declared clearly erroneous. Others that are trading below certain price bands where even though they were down a lot, they weren't in a sufficient area around those price bands, they may not be busted and declared clearly erroneous. So it's a little confusing right now. What I can tell you, Sarah, is there was more than 200 stocks that were affected, including very big names. A lot of companies were down 10, 12, 14, 16, 20 percent or even more. And the question is, are all of them going to be declared erroneous or not? And it looks like the NYC is declaring a limited number of them erroneous. Now, the big question here is what exactly happened here? And we don't know. They are not telling us. But it does look like in the past, these kinds of uh, trading glitches have been associated with software upgrades or security upgrades around the system. We don't know that, but that has happened in the past, and that's a likely explanation for what happened. The one thing I can tell you for sure is the SEC is probably not going to be happy to hear about this, and likely there will be some large fines down the road. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.